Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. Well, every 10 years, Idaho redraws its political map, uh, redrawing its uh, congressional boundaries and its legislative district boundaries to reflect the new census numbers and the changes in Idaho's population and the changes in Idaho's uh, demographic trends. Well, we have a map. We're going to have lawsuits. But what we have is a framework that might really change the way political races unfold in 2022 and beyond. And nobody's been following this process more closely than an old friend of the podcast and my old co-worker, Clark Corbin of Idaho Capital Sun. I caught up with Clark this week to talk about the redistricting process and how we got here. Have a listen. Well, Clark, welcome back to the podcast. It's always good to have you uh, have you back in familiar haunts here. You spent the past few weeks really closely watching the redistricting process. We've got maps. We have potential matchups, but talk us through the process of how we got here. Yeah, Kevin, thanks for having me back on. It's it's fun to be back. Um, not only is this going to be another five-star podcast, but I think this is Thank actually goodness. maybe the, the 250th time that we have gotten together. I think we left off the old Extra Credit podcast right before 250, and I think this is my second time back. But yeah, And my um, Apple ratings have been hurting ever since, so yes, <laughs> yes. definitely need the uh, definitely need the boost. So it's good to be back. But yeah, I've been watching the redistricting process uh, since they convened September 1st. And really just a quick primer, what we're doing, this happens once every 10 years. A similar process is happening in states across the country right now. And we're using new census 2020 population data to redraw Idaho's 35 congressional district boundaries and our two congressional district boundaries. It's this once a decade shakeup. Uh, that happens. We're recording now on November 11th, and just yesterday, uh, the redistricting commission once again adopted the congressional map and the legislative maps. These maps are going to be important because they're really going to govern elections and therefore politics and government for the next decade, assuming these maps survive the legal challenge that we do expect to be forthcoming. They'll be in place beginning with the 22 primary elections and then for the next 10 years. And I think what Idahoans and what legislators are finding out is that even though they have not moved, they have moved into a new The lines have moved on them. Yes, absolutely. And the reason for that is Idaho experienced a crazy amount of growth over the last 10 years, second fastest growing state, according to the census. But that growth was uneven. It was divided. Uh, Treasure Valley particularly Meridian, particularly Western Ada County, grew like crazy. It's some of the fastest rates in the country. Other areas of the state didn't keep up or, in rare exceptions, lost population. So we're tossing out all the old boundaries and we're putting the new maps in. Um, Commissioners had 90 days under state law to do this. They got it done with 70 days. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a little bit of confusion. They re-voted because of a concern over a potential Idaho open meeting law violation because last Friday's agenda didn't list the Idaho State Capitol building as the location. But so we really voted twice. There was no change on the maps either time. The maps are on the redistricting commission website. It's map C03 for Congress, L03 for the legislature. But over 70 days, these commissioners branched out all across the state. They held 18 different public hearings in regions all across the state. 
They heard from local residents. They heard from a lot of local county officials, county commissioners, city council members, some cases school board members. They heard from members of Idaho's Native American tribes. They held 18 meetings. I talked to Dan Schmidt. He was the co-commissioner of the redistricting commission, a former Idaho state senator, a former Democratic senator. He told me that he borrowed his daughter's hybrid vehicle and put 6,000 miles on it, wow. traveling the state September 1. Um, so they got That's good thing. Good thing he used the carbon carbon friendly uh, hybrid vehicle. You know, he was limiting the carbon footprint of this commission. Uh, the hybrid. He's, yeah, and he said it was newer, so it was, it was nice. But they got all this input, but this is a divisive process. It's a political process. There's all this um, pressure on the commissioners. There's been all this growth, and and they had to kind of do this impossible balancing act. There's all these requirements on the redistricting commission, thanks to the Idaho constitution, thanks to the U.S. constitution, thanks to state law, and thanks to previous Idaho Supreme Court, Supreme Court rulings over redistricting. And so they have to, there's a couple of things that can't change, right? Idaho is always going to have 44 counties. That right. doesn't change. Idaho now has 35 legislative districts. Idaho voters approved that language, so that's locked in. Mm -hmm. From there, you have to divide 44 counties into 35 legislative districts. You have to get the population as close to even as you can. It's the idea of one person, one vote. It's the equal protection clause. So your model legislative district is about 50-some thousand uh, residents right now. Yeah, that's exactly right. The ideal size dividing the state population from the 2020 census into 35 is like 52,540 people, uh, something like that. And so mm -hmm. about 52,000 people is the ideal size. They want to get that as close as possible. They've been told that if the total population deviated from the smallest population district to the largest by more than 10%, presumably unconstitutional. And so I talked to all the redistricting commissioners, and I think the population deviations were an especially important factor uh, for them, that was an especially important factor for the other co-commission chairman, Bart Davis, a right. uh, longtime Idaho Senate Republican majority leader. Mm -hmm. uh, so they got it to about 5.8% deviation, well below the 10% mark. But in addition to keeping the populations equally sized, they're also told to avoid splitting Idaho counties. They're, right. avoid, they're told to avoid splitting up cities. They're told to avoid drawing oddly shaped districts. Uh, they're told to protect so-called communities of mm -hmm. interest, which could be everything from a neighborhood to a Native American Indian reservation uh, to a housing development to a town. It kind of gets ambiguous, but they had all these things they, they had to balance up. And we're now starting to see the opposition to the maps since they've come forward in about the last week or so. Ada County commissioners complained about the way they cut up Ada County. In some cases, parts of Ada County are moved in with part of Canyon County. In some cases, parts of Ada County under the legislative map I'm talking now, um, part of that would be from Ada County to Canyon County, like I said. Part of that would also be lumping in a part of Ada County with Gem County over by Emmett. Mm -hmm. And Ada County commissioners were concerned. Canyon County commissioners were concerned. 
The Shoshone Bannock tribes sent a letter last week saying they were concerned about how the line drew um, their reservation in half. And so there's already opposition. We expect there will be some lawsuits. But yeah, it's really all about using this new population data to divide up the state into new political districts. And it's really going to shake things up um, for the next 10 years. And I think that you had a really interesting article for Idaho Education News on Wednesday this week, taking a look at some of those shakeups. But I want to oh, talk yeah, about this, and I also want to talk about all the reasons why the legislature is going to look really different in 2023 and how redistricting is a big one. Well, before we get, and I do want to get to the the map and some of the matchups, because that's where it really, really gets interesting for political junkies. But what I was struck by in this whole process, and you watched it more closely than anybody, we know we're going to have lawsuits. We know we're going to have this backlash. That's inevitable. That happens every time. But this commission, and again, this is a six-member commission, three Democrats, three Republicans, four former legislators. So they they understand intimately what this uh, process means to, to legislators. They agreed unanimously on this legislative map. So, you know, unity within that commission, but very swift backlash from uh, from political players. That's a really good point. Uh, Idaho is one of fewer than 20 states that actually does it this way with a true bipartisan commission. Like you said, three members appointed by Democrats, three members appointed by Republicans. In a lot of states, the state legislature handles redistricting. That's how Idaho used to do it Mm -hmm. uh, until the early 1990s. We now have this bipartisan redistricting commission. It truly is bipartisan. Uh, Keith Bybee, one of the legislative staffers uh, working with the commission, pointed out that Like you said, Kevin, there's a lot of legislative firepower uh, is the phrase that Keith used on this redistricting commission uh, between former Senator Dan Schmidt, former Senator Bart Davis, former representatives Tom Daley and and Eric Redman, former U.S. Senate candidate Nels Mitchell, uh, Amber Pence, uh, who has a lot of experience lobbying and a lot of experience working with government uh, but has not served as an elected official. Those were the six commissioners but they worked together and how it happened, uh, the commissioners were sort of appointed regionally. And so they broke into sort of a North Idaho team with a Republican and a Democrat, a Western Idaho team working on the Treasure Valley with a Republican and a Democrat, and an Eastern Idaho team working with a Republican and a Democrat. And they kind of worked from the North and the East towards the Treasure Valley and merged these maps. And like you said, they voted unanimously to approve the legislative map. They, there was division on the congressional map that passed 4-2 because of concerns about um, dividing up Ada County was one of the concerns. But back to the legislative map, it was u- approved unanimously. I talked with Nels Mitchell about it, and he talked about he was proud of the map. He said it was balanced. I, I talked to commissioners said they felt that they did a better job reflecting city boundaries within Ada County in the new legislate in the new maps. Um, so it, it's been interesting, but Nels said that it was balanced. He was proud of it. Uh, they were happy with the population deviations. Those were some of the things that they kept in mind, but it does split up eight Idaho counties. And that could be one of the things that we see a challenge built upon is the splitting up of the counties and how those counties are split up. And one of their jobs, one of the commission's jobs, and you tweeted about this on Wednesday, they are supposed to come up with a legislative map without any consideration of how it affects incumbents. And 
Well, when I look at the map and when I look at the potential matchups, you know, <laughs> mission accomplished because there are some high powered legislators who are facing the prospect of a primary challenge based on these maps. I mean, we're talking about Mike Moyle, we're talking about Jason Monks is in a crowded primary, you know, Megan Blanksman. Those are three members of House Republican leadership right there. You have Stephen Thane, the chairman of the Senate Education Committee. You have the two chairs of the tax committees in the House and the Senate, all potentially in these contested primaries. I mean, that's where it's going to get really interesting if this map holds up and if this is what's in place come May. Yeah. And that was, you covered, you did a really good job in your article on, on Education News on Wednesday, looking at those matchups. Right off the bat, Speaker of the House, Scott Bedke, put out a statement saying Republicans in the House are not entirely thrilled uh, with this new redistricting map because it did put so many incumbents together potentially in the same legislative districts. I think we're going to get an official state report um, looking at all that. Legislators may get that next week is what it was sounding like. Um, But, yeah, it's interesting. This is going to shake up. The elections, it's going to shake up the next legislative session. We think there's going to be uh, challenges, but commissioners are not supposed to consider it all where incumbents would land. They're not supposed to consider how breaking up counties would affect balances of political power. But you know, and we know that commissioners, they're getting all kinds of public input at these public meetings. But they're getting phone calls. They're getting emails. People are talking with them. People are saying, oh, you know, in my district here, it's important to do this. We know there's a lot of pressure on the redistricting commissioners. And I'm not speaking to whether this map passes constitutional muster or not. That would be for uh, the commissioners and then for any courts to say. But in terms of, you know, what's expected, commissioners aren't supposed to look at um, where incumbents lie. And you could just get a sense. I mean, Commissioner Bart Davis talked about this at length, that he made friends among the five other commissioners at the table, but he made a lot of enemies across <laughs> the state because of this map. Senator Davis, I've known for more than 10 years. I covered him when he was Senate Majority Leader, and, and he has this very witty but very dry sense of humor. And several times Senator Davis said, I did not enjoy this redistricting assignment. I promise you I will never do it again. And it just so happens that Idaho law prevents him from serving as a redistricting commissioner again. You only get to do it once. But I think Senator is very candid um, about how difficult this was. I know commissioners are getting a lot of pressure. I could sense when they voted Friday and then again on Wednesday, uh, commissioners have been putting in a lot of time a lot of miles, commission staff, um, Elizabeth Bowen, Keith Bybee, um, you know, there are several other redistricting commissioner staffers. They were preparing these hundred page reports with a thousand page appendices. Um, it's just this grueling process. And I'm, and I'm not speaking to whether the map is good or bad. I'm just trying to talk about uh, the process, but, um, it's been interesting, but yeah, Davis and, and Dan Schmidt, uh, I could also – he became a little bit emotional after the vote on Wednesday just how much uh, – how difficult this process was. And they and, he, and Dan Schmidt always told me, we're not going to make everybody happy. We're not even going to try. What we want to try to do is follow the Constitution and, and state law uh, and get a map out before deadline because the deadline was November 30th. But there's this time crunch, right, Kevin? They got the redistricting files late from the U.S. Census Bureau, mm-hmm. months later than they would have hoped to have gotten 
months later than came in 10 years ago because of COVID-19 delays. And so now they're kind of under the wire because this plan needs to be finalized and there can't be any challenges hanging over it because a couple of things, candidates need to start declaring uh, of their official candidacy with the state in late February. I think that's on or about February 25th. Right. Last week of February. Opens. Shortly thereafter, counties are going to need to start printing up ballots for that May 2022 primary election. So commissioners are real sensitive to the timing, but also expecting a challenge. I think that's one reason, maybe the only, maybe the main reason that they re-voted after Friday with this open meeting concern was because they didn't want to have this thing uh, hung up right as they crossed the finish line because of questions over, over the agenda and open meeting law. And it looks like, I mean, the jockeying is already beginning among legislators. I mean, we just, in the few days since this map came out, Ben Adams, a House member from Nampa, has declared that he's going to run for Senate. Looks like that's an open Senate seat with, with no incumbent in that district. Uh, over in eastern Idaho, Britt Raybould, a former legislator, has come out and said that she is going to challenge Ron Nate, who defeated her in the in the 2020 Republican primary. So there will be a rematch in that legislative district, which is a slightly different district now because it's only Madison County doesn't take in some of these uh, parts of Bonneville County. So that may change the, the balance of power within that one legislative district. And we're just getting started. I mean, just a few days since the, the map has come out. I would expect just a lot more uh, jockeying as we move forward. I'd be fascinating in that race if it plays out with uh, former Representative Raybould and Representative Nate. Like you said, that new District 34 is being, being reconfigured. I want to say that within Madison County in 2020, uh, Britt Raybould did better than Ron Nate. But I think you're you, right. Uh, add the Bonneville County slice, which has been since taken out of that district. That's where Ron Nate won. I think that's what's won that primary. So that could be, you're absolutely right. That could be a fascinating uh, race over there in Madison County. Uh, the Raybould family has generations been known uh, in, in the Rexburg area in Madison County. Dell Raybould served in the legislature. There's Raybould Farms. And then Ron Nate, a very well-known, very outspoken conservative member of the legislature who is often aligned with the Idaho Freedom Foundation, who himself is well-known in Madison County, uh, has been a professor uh, at, at BYU-Idaho. Uh, so t two well-known, high-profile Eastern Idaho candidates potentially set up uh, in that primary election in that District 34. And then, uh, gosh, Representative Ben Adams, I want to say maybe even a uh, first-term representative yeah, Ben Adams, it, yeah. has to be really happy with redistricting uh, played out thus far uh, in District. I can't remember if he's within 12 now or it's the new 12, but he has to be really happy with that. It, it by especially by comparison to how some uh, sitting state senators are feeling about the map. I mean, you've got contrast that with Senator Stephen Thane, who is yeah, exactly one of the legislators that Idaho Education News follows the closest. I know Kevin, uh, you long followed the Senate, um, but that could be a fascinating race if yeah, that Stephen plays Thane, out that way. Uh, with what Senator Thane and Senator Grow in right. the same district? Right, Stephen Thane and C. Scott Grow from Eagle in that district. You go up north, you've got Carl Crabtree and Dan Johnson, incumbent senators in the same district. You've got in western Idaho, you have Abby Lee and Jim Rice in the same district. Canyon County, you've got 
Todd Lakey and Patty Ann Lodge. Patty Ann Lodge, the senior member of the Senate in the same district. I mean, who knows how this is all going to play out? Who knows if all these you know, incumbents are going to decide to seek re-election? And then you have the House members facing contested races, maybe or maybe not trying to move into the Senate if there's a, a path. There's just a whole lot to get to. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're going to write more about it. I've written about it this week, just kind of looking at some of the matchups. It's probably easiest just to look at the story. Let's shift gears for a couple minutes (laughs) because you've gotten out of all these redistricting meetings and hearings just in time for us to get back to the state house for the legislature. What a a time we're living in here. (laughs) What a time to be alive, right? Yeah. So we have back, getting the band back together Monday morning. 9 a.m., November 15th, uh, the House views this really as reconvening. It, it, we took a – so what I want to say is it's it's no surprise that we're back here coming back into session, but we sort of took a convoluted road to get there. Flashback to May, longest session in Idaho history, 122 days. Idaho Senate adjourns for the year. Idaho House votes to go at extended recess. So the House views that they're just coming back. Uh, to the existing session on Monday, but it's they they plan to set aside three days. I talked to legislators who have no idea what's going to happen, and saying anything from one day to well beyond the three days. I saw Kevin. You just reported there's going to be 32 potential pieces of draft legislation waiting in the Ways and Means Committee when legislators show up on Monday. We expect a big showdown over President Biden's COVID-19 vaccine and testing rules for employers. Um, Yeah, I mean, ostensibly, this is supposed to be a session to talk about vaccine mandates. And you're right. What I heard today from Paul Amador, who's the chair of the the House Ways and Means Committee, is 32 draft pieces of legislation were turned into House leadership by the deadline. So potentially you're going to have print hearings, introductory hearings starting early Monday morning, even before the House goes into session, on 32 pieces of legislation, not all of which uh, may get full hearings. Uh, if all 32 pills get full hearings, we're, we're there till Christmas. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be quite a show. And that's just on the one issue, ostensibly, that uh, the House wants to come back and, and deal with. The House also has to deal with the Priscilla Giddings ethics investigation and the ethics report and and the recommendations there. And the Senate has said, well, they don't want to take the lead on policy bills. The Senate is saying, we do want to run a bill to pay for potential legal costs uh, for, you know, fighting these uh, vaccine mandates in federal court, run a $2 million spending bill there, maybe do a memorial opposing the vaccine mandates, kind of a non-binding letter to Congress or letter to Washington, D.C. saying we're not happy. (laughs) But you and I both know, I mean, this is a weird framework because really anything potentially could happen. There's nothing really stopping legislators from trying to take the process in a whole different direction and move other pieces of legislation that have nothing to do with vaccine mandates. Yeah, I mean, conservative members of the House have been itching to get back into session since summer. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan asked them to come back in session over the summer. In September, a group of about 16 uh, of the more conservative kind of Idaho Freedom Foundation aligned legislators attempted uh, and failed to to establish a quorum to come back into session. 
But I, I think that early Monday morning, the House Ways and Means Committee is where bills are going to be originating. Leadership will have some control of that. Like you said, Amador, not in leadership, but he's the chair. And then that committee is stacked with leadership. Right. But what if, if committees convene, if other committees convene once those bills are introduced, you could see legislators trying to introduce all kinds of different bills on different topics. That's one of the things Representative Brooke Green, a Boise Democrat, and I talked about. She said she is hearing that that there will be attempts to introduce uh, bills outside of the topics of uh, the Biden rules for vaccine and testing. You know, Representative Green said she only supports two things. She said it's her duty as an elected official to be there, and so she'll be there. She only supports a vote on the ethics committee recommendation represent, uh, regarding the ethics complaint against Representative Priscilla Giddings, a Republican from Whitebird. Representative Green said the House needs to vote on that. That needs to be done this year. And then other than that, all she said she supports is an immediate motion to adjourn for the year signing die. But there's obviously going to be a lot of legislation floating out there. Um, and it, 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 it could be interesting. Like I said, Representative Horman said because of the number of bills potentially circulating, she's afraid it will go longer than the three days. She is appointing former Senate Education Chairman Dean Mortimer to serve uh, in her place should the session run past Tuesday. Uh, so former, former Senator Mortimer may, back, may be back at the State House starting Wednesday morning. Um, but I, I'm hearing everything from there could be an immediate uh, um, non-debatable motion to try to adjourn right away Monday morning to we could be here well past three days considering just a voluminous pile of of legislation. Uh, and so it sort of uh, remains to be seen, uh, but it all starts early Monday. And the further out we get, uh, maybe we'll have to do some research on, you know, is is Subway or is Jimmy John's open on Thanksgiving Day? Can we at least get a turkey sandwich while we're watching <laughs> the uh, ongoing November legislative session? However long or short it uh, takes, I know you'll be there from start to finish. Uh, yeah. I'll be there from start to finish. We'll, uh, we'll 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 catch up, and we may have to do an emergency podcast. Who knows? Yeah, well, we may still be talking about this next week, um, but. It'll be interesting, and then it's not that far off, and that that's what several people are pointing out. It's not that far off until January 10th when the traditional 2022 session will be convening anyways. Um, so how much of an interim is there going to be? I don't know. Um, I don't know if anybody knows. Just live day, day to day. It's kind of you know what we've been doing the past 20 months. Yep. Mark, always great catching up, man. Great to see you again, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Again, that was Clark Corbin from the Idaho Capital Sun. That'll wrap it up for the podcast this week. A lot to get to at our homepage, idahoednews.org. I have a piece that I published on Thursday setting the stage for the return of the legislature and the 32, no, that's not a misprint, 32 draft pieces of legislation waiting as lawmakers make their way back to the state house. That piece published on Thursday, you can find it at idahoednews.org. Also, you can find the story that Clark and I were talking about a little bit during the podcast, a look at how this legislative map might affect the 2022 elections and the 2022 primaries in particular. I ran the map. I ran the addresses of incumbent legislators to get a sense of who's in what district and who might be having to uh, face off in the primaries. Some really interesting uh, potential primaries, some really big names from the statehouse. 
that could be facing primaries. We have that rundown at idahoednews.org. Which brings me to another feature that we launched this week. We're calling it Election Notes. It's a running blog that I will write that keeps you up to date on what's happening with the 2022 elections, whether that's endorsements, whether that's fundraising, announcements, news releases, the whole gamut. We're going to try to keep you as current as possible about what's happening with elections and how that may affect education policy. Check that page out. I will be updating it regularly. And a lot more at the page as well, and a lot more at idahoidnews.org. Our news reporter, Kyle Fonenstiel, has a story about the rollout of the coronavirus vaccine for 5 to 11-year-olds and why school districts are not necessarily going to be offering in-school clinics and why that might not really matter all that much in terms of the distribution of the Pfizer vaccine. Kyle has that story at idahoidnews.org. So check all of that out and check in with us first thing Monday morning. Blake Jones and I will be at the State House as lawmakers return. We'll have full coverage of the session. And we'll have full coverage of the Idaho School Boards Association's annual convention in Boise this week. So a very busy week ahead. So check us out regularly at idahoednews.org. Follow us on Twitter because we'll tweet out links to our latest stories and bulletins on any breaking news. Follow us on Facebook and comment there. And check back next Friday for another edition of the podcast. Until then, I'm Kevin Richard. Stay safe and have a good week.